And uh, today I want to talk to you about the greatest comeback. Um, a lot of comebacks. You can, uh, you can find comeback stories in all direction. You can go to sports and there are great comeback stories of athletes that have, um, everybody thought they were washed up, but they came back and still had a great career. I remember years ago in the Olympics, uh, one, of, one of our little gymnastic girls uh, hurt her ankle, and, and yet in that very Olympic came back and, and uh, did a perfect landing, and, and uh, ju- just great stories are all over the place. But I, I want to go to the Scripture today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brief, but I want to give you three comeback stories from the Word of God, two from the Old Testament and one from all over the Bible. Uh, you just see him everywhere. The first one I want to talk to you about is uh, a guy named Samson. And if I'm giving you the scriptural references. I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but I'll give you the scriptural references if you'd like to read about them at your own leisure at home today or, or sometime in the future. But if you go to the book of Judges, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, you can read about this guy named Samson. He was uh, quite an unusual guy. Actually, his birth was miraculous. And you can read about his birth in Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 24. His mother was barren. She and her husband Manoah had not been able to have any children and had pretty well given up on the idea that they would ever have an offspring. And uh, suddenly one day an angel appeared to her and said to her, God has destiny for your life. You're going to have a child. In fact, you're going to have a son. And uh, God is going to raise him up and use him in a powerful way. Uh, Israel had been under the oppression of the Philistines for about 40 years at that time. And um, God was going to use this baby boy uh, to grow up and be a judge in Israel and help Um, redeem them or get them free from the oppression of their enemies. And sure enough, uh, Samson was born. Now, the angel also said to his mother, this child is to be a Nazarite. And then take the Nazarite vow from the day of his birth. He's not to ever drink wine or strong drink. Um, He's not to cut his hair. His long hair will be a sign of his Nazarite vow to God. There are many other things, if you'd like to read about those in the Scripture that deals with the, um, with the Nazarite vow. And so Samson was born and followed the teaching of his family and grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move on his life in a very powerful way. For example, one day he was out and a lion charged at him. And here he was with no weapon, And uh, nowhere to go to get away, but the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And he was not intimidated at all. In fact, not only did he stand up to that lion, but he grabbed that lion by the chin whiskers and tore him to shreds, killed him. And uh, later, bees uh, made uh, made a place where they produced honey in the carcass that lion uh, that that laid by the roadside there until it dried up and only bones remained. And things like this started happening. You read about the ministry and the miracles of Samson in Judges chapter 14 all the way down through chapter 16 
down to verse 20. Many, many miracles. I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just mention a couple of things to you. For example, one time the uh, Philistines were really oppressing the Israelites and and uh, so Samson <clears throat> caught 300 foxes and tied their tails together and put firebrands in them and turned them loose uh, at harvest time in the fields of the Philistines. That's where you get the term, he will set your fields on fire. And that's exactly what Samson did. He set their fields on fire, literally. And uh, boy, he got their attention then. Uh, that there was a God in Israel and that God was uh, intervening. Another time they locked him up in a city and they said, we'll take care of him. He can't get out. The only way out is the main gate of the city. And they had that locked. And Samson got up about midnight and walked out and the spirit of the Lord came on him and he just tore the gates out of the ground post and everything and carried them way off and left them on a hillside and went on home mighty, mighty man of God, mightily used of God. One time they came against him and, and he grabbed a jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand Philistines with, uh, with that one instrument in his hand. Now you talking about a hero. We have sports heroes today and, 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 and we have these guys that can do mighty feats. Can you imagine one guy that can take on a thousand and win by himself? Well, not really by himself. It was the spirit of the Lord that was upon him. And, and so things went remarkably well for Samson. He had the respect of everybody. And when they saw him coming, but there came a point in his life where weakness uh, took hold of him. He fell for a woman by the name of Delilah. And Delilah persuaded him until she was able to find the secret of his power. And that secret of his power was in his obedience to God and his keeping of the Nazarite vow. And when she helped him to sleep and when he was extremely tired and she gave him warm milk to drink and uh, I don't know whether she put something in it or not, but he was so sleepy so sound asleep that she was able to cut the locks of his hair. And so when he awakened out of that sleep, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And Samson said, no problem. I'll shake myself and go out as other times before, and I'll take care of things. But here's a sad verse of scripture. He wist not, knew not that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Can I say this to you this morning, folks? You can't do wrong and get by. Sin has a payday, and sin will catch you somewhere down the road. The Philistines did come. They took Samson. They gouged out his eyes. They took him to a mill and hooked him up where an animal, an oxen, or a, or a mule had been pulling. They made him pull the mill and grind the grain into powder and he worked like that the rest of his life on occasions when the philistines would be having a festive event they would bring old samson out and make sport of him 
didn't laugh at him. He said, there's the guy that killed a thousand. There's the guy that carried off the gates of the city. There's the guy that tied the fox's tails together. There's the guy that everybody thought was the strongest man in the world. And look at him now. Our God is greater than his God. And they would celebrate. But on one such occasion... They were celebrating and they brought old Samson out to make fun of him. By now his hair had grown back out. And by now in that place where he ground mill all day long, all alone he had repented and reconnected with God. How many of you are glad we serve a God of a second chance? Are you glad about that? Amen. And on that day in this huge arena with thousands of spectators on the upper level and, and the lords of the Philistines on the ground level and, and everybody that was anybody in the whole place at that time were at this great festive event. And they had a little boy to lead old Samson out and they're making fun of him. Look at there, a kid can lead him around like a dog. Watch him now. And he leaned up against the main post that held that arena. And he asked that little boy, he said, is there another pillar? And he put his hand on the other pillar. And Samson lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, God, would you just, would you just one more time, just one more time, would you, would you let your spirit come on me? And the spirit of God moved upon him and he was able to forcibly pushed down those pillars that held that arena and he conquered more in his death than he conquered in his life oh the comeback kid samson will forever be remembered in the annals of history and in the word of god as the man who came back and did more in his death than he did in his life second Example of a comeback I want to give to you this morning is also found in the Old Testament. And this guy's name is David. There's a whole lot said about him in Scripture. Now, Samson just uh, takes up about four chapters, David takes up books. In fact, you'll read about David in First and Second Samuel, a whole lot about David. You'll read about him in First Kings. You'll read about him in First Chronicles. And the whole book of Psalms, many of those Psalms were written by this guy named David. He became famous as a boy. How many of you remember the story that made him famous? You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he was the young boy, and you can read about this in um, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 18. When he, was just a, when he was just a lad, just a youth, God saw his heart, that he had a heart to please God, that he loved God and uh, served God as a youngster. And God had Samuel the prophet to anoint him when he was just a boy. His older brothers thought they would be the one, but no, it was David, that little ruddy-complected boy that, that kept the sheep out on the back pasture, that, that ruddy little boy that was out there and spent a lot of time alone with his harp and learned to play and became a masterful musician, that, that boy that spent his lone time worshiping God and learned to worship God through song and, and wrote many psalms and wrote many songs and sang to the Lord constantly as he, as he took care of business from day to day. 
And so there came a time that a giant by the name of Goliath came out against the Israelites and said, I'm going to destroy you. If, if, you don't, if you don't bring somebody that can fight with me, we're going we're gonna to take you over and subdue you. And you're going to be our servants. And there was, not a, there was not a person in the army that was willing to fight this giant Goliath. In fact, King Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel, he was the biggest guy in Israel. He was afraid of the giant. <laughs> Up walks this little old boy, David. He said, I ain't afraid of him. And everybody else looked at Goliath and said, he's too big. He's too big to hit. We can't mess with him. David looked at him and said, he's too big to miss. Let me at him. You see, what David knew that the rest of them were not thinking about, they knew it if they had thought de deep enough, but they just weren't thinking in spiritual terms. David realized that that giant Goliath was coming in the name of the gods of the Philistines. David was coming in the name of Jehovah God, Almighty God. Amen? And our God is bigger than any God. Amen? Somebody give him praise. Oftentimes in my prayer time, I'll start my prayer time by saying, God, I've come to worship you, and there is no God like you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, you're greater than all, you're greater than anything in this whole universe that's known or even unknown to man. You're God. Amen. And that's the kind of God David served. And David went out. You know the story. He took a little slingshot and a stone and, 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 and wound up that slingshot and, and let it go. And when, it, when that stone let go, the Holy Spirit took charge and planted it right into the forehead of that giant. And he fell to the ground. And David cut his head off. And David became the most popular man in all of Israel. In fact, the women in Israel began to sing this little song. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. What a mighty young man he was. David became king. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 2. They anointed him king at Hebron after the death of Saul. He was the next king. And things went well for David for many, many years. In fact, for decades, he served as Israel's greatest king. Israel loved him. They revered him. They respected him. They honored him. He was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of principle. He was a man who led Israel in worshiping the Lord in a greater way than they'd ever known it before. In fact, he even he, he moved the tabernacle to the city of David. They renamed Jerusalem the city or, or called uh, Jerusalem the city of David. And, and he brought the tabernacle there and he, he left it open so people could come and sing and he hired musicians and singers to keep the music going around the clock 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. There was worship and praise going up to God. In fact, many of the Psalms that you read in your Bible 
came out of that time of spontaneous worship. As people would worship the Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and utterances would come out of them, many times from David, sometimes for other musicians and other singers. And those worship things were recorded. He also hired amanuenses. We call them secretaries today. And the amanuensis was there working around the clock to record what was spoken prophetically under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the time of worship. And those are many of the Psalms that we read in our Bible. What a great time. What a great time. Victory after victory and battle after battle. David was always, it seemed, the winner. The winner. Until after a while it got to be old hat. After a while it got to be routine. After a while, David began to slack off. And at, at one particular season of the year when, when the kings went out to war and he would normally lead the armies to battle, he stayed home. And this time, he was looking where he should not have been looking. And he saw Bathsheba as she was bathing. And he began to lust after her. This was the pornography of that day. I read a statistic last week that says over 65%, I think it's 68% now, of men who profess to be Christians are having trouble with pornography. Please, brethren, hear me today. Listen to me today. Sin will trap you in its clutches and draw you into things that you never intended to get involved in. It will take you to places you never intended to go. You've heard me preach many times, sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. David didn't think anything was wrong with it. it was, he was just feeding his flesh. But the lust became so great that he sent for Bathsheba and brought her into the palace and had an affair with her. And to his surprise, he found out later that she was expecting a baby. And so now the plot thickens and David starts conniving to try to find out a way to cover up his sin. And the cover-up becomes worse than the original sin. He would have been so much better if he better off if he had confessed it in the beginning, but he didn't. Instead, he tried to hide it. And he came up with this scheme. He, he called her husband home from the army, gave him a little furlough and said, uh, go, go spend the weekend at home. Have a nice time with your family. He thought that way everything would be okay because Everybody knew how to count, and he knew that when that baby was born, everybody could count to nine, and they knew where, they knew where he was. But this, this would take care of it. Surely this happened while her husband was home. But he had more integrity even than David at this point in his life, and he refused. He said, I, 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 can't, I can't do that with my with my fellow comrades and my, 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 my soldiers that I serve with and the unit that I'm a part of. And they're out there on the front lines, and, and I'm going to go home and have a leisurely weekend. He, he refused. 
And so now David has to come up with still another plan. And so he plotted the murder of Uriah the Hittite. He had him killed in battle. So now David is guilty of lust. David is guilty of adultery. David is guilty of deceitfulness and lying. And now David is guilty of premeditated murder. You remember I told you a while ago sin has a payday? took a long time, but eventually payday came. And it came in a form that David would never have expected. His own son Absalom began to gain the heart of the people in the kingdom, and he plotted treason against his own dead. And one of, the, one of the saddest parts of the Scripture, you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 to 16, or all the way to chapter 16 and verse 14 of 2 Samuel. David actually has to vacate the throne. His son literally took over the kingdom and ousted him. And one of the saddest parts of the scripture to me, similar to the sad part of Samson's life, that sad part showed up in David's life because David is going along with, and, and he, he takes the, the people that are working with them and there's a whole host of them have to leave Jerusalem and they, they're escaping to look for another country where they can find asylum because Absalom's being crowned down in Hebron and David knows that as soon as the coronation is over, they're going to come to Jerusalem and kill everybody. And so he's escaping for his life. And as he goes along, the Bible says he's barefooted. He's, he's no longer the king sitting on the royal throne with the crown on his head and, and, and the scepter in his hand. He's, he's barefooted and he's, he, he's, he's disheveled and he's, and he's weeping. And, and everybody with him is weeping and crying. And as they go along the road, an old guy named Shimei comes running along the bank by the side of the road, throwing rocks at the king, throwing dust in the air, cursing David. One of David's mighty men said, let me at him. I'll take that dog's head off of his shoulders. David said, no, I deserve what he's saying. I've sinned. And David has to advocate the throne, hide and run for his life because of his sin. But wait a minute. We all know that that's not the end of the story. Because David, too, is repentant. Remember, God called him a man after his own heart. David begins to repent. David begins to cry out to God for forgiveness. David, you can read it in 2 Samuel 19, 9, all the way to chapter 24 about David's comeback. Because in exile, he begins to pray and cry out to God and repent of his sins. And God, in his mercy and in his grace... Again, how many of you are glad God's a God of a second chance? Amen. God in his mercy and his grace brings David back to Jerusalem and puts him back on the throne. And the end of the story is that David is still the sweet psalmist of Israel and David is the king and his throne is established forever. 
Jesus himself is a descendant of him. What a comeback. I don't know what you've done, but I've, I've named off a couple guys that's done some pretty horrendous things today, and they made a comeback. I want to tell you, God is here to help you make a comeback as well. Let me quickly give you number three. This is the final one that I'll talk to you about. And you can find this person in every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. His name is Jesus, the name that's above every name, Jesus. But let me tell you, unlike Samson, Jesus is not a sinner. Unlike David, Jesus did not commit horrendous sins. In fact, when they tried Jesus, they couldn't find any fault in him. When they tried Jesus, they couldn't even find fault with his speech. No guile even found in his mouth. When they tried Jesus, he was the sinless son of God. His demise did not come because of what he did. His demise came because of what other people did to him. Mankind could not stand to see a standard that was too high. The religious people could not bear to look at the sinless Son of God. They were condemned themselves, and so their effort was to bring him down. And, of course, they were inspired by Satan himself. And you heard it last Sunday as we talked about, as Pastor Reagan shared with you, as we made that journey, uh, we started early this uh, first Sunday of this month and all the way to the cross of Calvary last Sunday and the death of Jesus. And today we want to talk to you about the resurrection. But Jesus was, was marvelous in his birth. You can read about him in Matthew and Luke, his birth. And then in his ministry and his life, you can read about it in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then in his death, again, all four gospel writers. But I want to take you this morning to his resurrection right after you see him in his death. First of all, think about him for just a moment. Think about him in Pilate's judgment hall where he was beaten with a whip they call the cat of nine tails. And if you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you saw a man so beaten and so many men died under a Roman scourging. Jesus took those 39 stripes upon his back. In Pilate's judgment hall, they beat him, they cursed him, they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they beat those thorns in with reeds. And, and, and then, then they came by and hit him with their fist until his face began to swell. And, and Isaiah said his visage was marred more than any man. You couldn't even recognize him if you looked at him, if you didn't know who he was. You, 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 you wouldn't have a clue. He was, they, they, they beat him and pounded him and pummeled him with their fist. And, and then they spat in his face one after the other. They spat upon him. And, and then they took him out and, and nailed him to a cross. And they hung him between heaven and earth and between two thieves. The most horrible kind of death that you could possibly die. Jesus died. The cross of Calvary for you and me. A soldier took out his spear and thrust it into his side and burst that cavity where the heart is and, and blood and water came gushing out. 
Jesus bled from the seven wounds in his body until he was dead. Jesus spoke those words from the cross, so many words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me when God the Father no longer could look with compassion upon him because he was bearing the sins of the world. And by the way, those sins were your sins and my sins that were on him when he was on the cross. Until finally he cried, it's finished, and he died. And then they took him down. And they put him in a, in a tomb. It was carved out of solid rock. They placed him in that tomb. And then they rolled this stone that they had made in front of the tomb. Dr. David Jeremiah in his research and study said that it took 20 men to roll that stone from where they carved it out in front of that tomb. And then they sealed it with a Roman seal. And then they stationed soldiers guarding each side of that tomb to make sure nobody came near it. Sealed with a Roman seal. To break that seal would, would cause you death. Soldiers on either side. A stone so large that it would take 20 men to roll it away. And yet, three days later, three days later, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph toward his foes. He arose. Glory to God. <laughs> he arose victorious. God dispatched an angel to move that stone. Now, think about this for a minute because, you know, there, the, the story went around in that day that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away. Well, there were only 12 disciples, and after Judas hung himself, that left only 11. It would have taken 20 men to move that, so it would have taken more than just the disciples. Plus, again, Dr. Jeremiah's research says that the stone was not rolled away. We translate the word in the English as rolled away, but the original language says that the stone was removed. And historical studies says that the stone was moved to another place. Not just rolled away. 20 men could have rolled it down enough to get the body out. But that angel picked that stone up and moved it so far away, it would have taken at least 100 men to bring it back. Glory to God. No wonder they couldn't conceal what had happened. If it had just been rolled down a little bit, those, those soldiers ran, got some help, and 20 of them would have rolled it back up, and, and, and they got somebody to come seal it back up, and they said, all this story about the risen Lord is, is just a myth. No, 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 no. That, that stone was moved so far that they couldn't get enough people together before somebody had already visited the tomb. Mary came. Later, Peter and John came. Others came. He was not there. We have the witness. We have the story. People gave their lives for it. He's alive. He arose from the dead. Give him praise this morning. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yes. 
All four Gospels record his resurrection. And then if you go on into the book of Acts, the first chapter starts off with his ascension. Forty days later, he ascended up to heaven. Let me tell you, those people who are followers of Christ, who saw the resurrected Lord, they gave their lives for that resurrection testimony. If it had to have been a myth, folks, you, you, a made-up story, you don't die for a made-up story. Amen? They died because they knew. And they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus arose. Now, here's the thing that I want to do. For the next couple of minutes, we're going to pray. It's one thing to come together on Easter, and we do it year after year after year. And just hear the historical event. But if you leave here this morning with just a historical reminder, or maybe if you didn't know the story, if you leave here this morning with just new historical information, then we've not accomplished what this service is here and all about. The Holy Spirit didn't come this morning and move in our singing and in our worship and and now at this time of the service, just so you could go away with historical knowledge about a risen Lord, the Holy Spirit's here this morning to say that the same Jesus who made history's greatest comeback made that comeback so you could have your comeback. Amen. So that you can come back from wherever you are. I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to give you three important things that you need to do to have your comeback. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you're dealing with today. More than likely, some of you are here, you fight with rejection. Some of you fight with depression. Some of you fight with feelings of insignificance. Some of you fight with feelings of inferiority. Some of you deal with failures in your past. Some of you have got failed marriages that you've never been able to get over. Some of you have lost jobs and careers that you've never been able to recover from. Some of you have lost in relationships and family and hurts and wounds that you've never been able to overcome. Jesus said, because I live, you can live also. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's three things you need to do today to have your own comeback. Number one, you need to run to the Lord. You need to run to him, not away from him. First Peter 5 and 7 says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You need to bring that situation that you're dealing with, those situations in your life that have been holding you back, those things that have kept you from succeeding, those things that have kept you from moving forward, those things that keep you pressed down, those things that hamper you and hinder you. You need to release those things to God today. You need to cast those cares on him. The second thing you need to do is you need to lay your life down. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying as long as you keep trying to work it out on your own, 
you're going to keep falling short. You're going to keep messing up. You're going to keep coming up empty. You're never going to find fulfillment. It's just going to happen over and over and over again until you bring your life to him and say, Lord, I release it. I give it up. And he says, that's what I've been waiting for you to do. Now let me give you my life. And that's life and life more abundantly. Amen. That's the life he wants you to have. And thirdly and finally, you need to come forward today expecting a resurrection. I gave it to you all ago. It's from Matthew 14 and 19, the second part of that verse. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. You need to come expecting a resurrection. Come expecting something. Come, by, come with faith. Come with vision. Come this morning believing that God's going to give you a fresh start. Come believing today that the Lord's going to help you get over that hurdle that you hadn't been able to get over yet. Come believing today that just because he arose from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, I too can have a resurrection in my life. Resurrected to new life. Praise God. Don't let failures hold you back any longer. I remember several years ago reading about Walt Disney and did you know he went bankrupt five times five failures bankrupt five times listen folks it's not how many times you fail it's what you do after that last failure that makes all the difference in the world in fact when Disney World opened in Florida a reporter from one of the leading magazines said to Mrs. Disney, it's such a shame that Walt Disney never got to see this place. And she said, oh, he saw it. He saw it many times. In other words, he saw it in his vision before it ever became reality. You need to come this morning. You need to see it. You need to see yourself in Christ. You need to see yourself a new creature. I, I, whatever's in your past this morning, put it down. Bring it to the Lord. Release it. Let it go. He's here to give you a fresh start, a new day. He's here to write your name on the Lamb's Book of Life. He's here to make you part of the family of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please, all over the building? Every eye closed, no one looking around, please. Can I ask you a question? And I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. But I just want to know because I want to pray for you today. How many of you standing here on this Easter Sunday morning, 2016, will say, Pastor, if I have to meet God this very day, I'm not sure I'm prepared. I'm not sure that I'd get a good report when I stand before him. I'm, I'm not sure about my salvation. Would you just raise your hand, hold it for just a moment so I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Hold them for just a moment. Yes. Yes. Many, many hands here. Thank you. Now let me ask another question. How many of you standing here this morning say, Pastor, it's time for me to make a comeback. 
I've been held down, pressed down, pushed back long enough. I need to make a, it's time for me to make a comeback. I, I need, but I, I can't do it by myself. But I believe God can help me this morning to come back from that bad marriage, to come back from that bankruptcy, to come back from that job failure, to come back from that. Some of you, some of you may even have records on your, from your past. Maybe, I, I don't know where you've spent time. I don't know how much time you've spent. But I know one thing, God is able to give you a comeback this morning. Anybody else just hold your hands up for just, I need a come. I, today, it's time for me to make a comeback. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I said a while ago, we need, we need to exercise faith. And here's how you can exercise faith. You can take a step this morning towards the Lord. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you, everybody, now look at me for a moment, all over the building, from the top of the balconies to the front seat, we'll wait on you. There's time. I want those of you who raised your hand, whether it was for salvation or whether it was for a comeback or whatever your need is, I want you, I want you right now to just start moving. Some have already done it. Start moving this way. Just, we're going to stand here, and I'm going to pray. Now, again, we're not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to pray with you here in a closing prayer but just just come just come just make say i i believe god's going to give me that i'm, I'm going to i'm going to take the first steps to a comeback this morning this easter sunday is going to go down in the history of my life as the morning that i made a comeback from this just come on that's right come on quickly all over the building come on from the top of the balcony all the way to the front seat wherever you are come on come on yes yes praise god yes Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Come on in as close as you can get so others can come behind you there. They're still coming. We're waiting for you. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. This, this could be the day that changes your life. This decision could be the decision that forever points you towards the destiny that God has for you. The enemy has been trying to keep you from it. But God said, I'm here to give you a fresh start today. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Thank the Lord. Yes. Come on. Now, church, would you help me with this? We're going to pray. And I'm going to pray first of all with those of you that raised your hand and said, I'm not sure that if the Lord were to call for me today that I'm ready. I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer and believe that the Lord is able to take care of that situation today. That's what he died for. I stepped back one Sunday night many years ago to a young man. I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit wanting me to speak to him. And I, I stepped back. He was standing about halfway back at the congregation he was a great great big fella looked like a linebacker on a pro football team I knew his initials I said JB I, I just feel like God wants you to come and he said I can't I said why he said I don't I don't think I don't think God would forgive me you don't realize what I've done 
And I said, JB, do you mean to tell me that you believe that Jesus would have suffered everything he suffered on the cross so that you could be saved? And then you'd come to him and he'd say, no, I don't believe I want to save him. I said, why do you think he suffered? And he broke down and came and gave his heart to Jesus. I don't know what you've done this morning, but I, I gave you some pretty bad guys. David committed adultery. David committed premeditated murder. I don't know, you know, if you've done anything worse than that. God forgave him. God's no respecter of person. He loves you as much as he did David. He loves you as much as he did Samson. He'll let his spirit come on you. Say this prayer after me. Let's all pray it together all over the congregation. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died to save me. I believe he arose again and that he's alive today. I believe he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. And, and so right now, I repent of my sins. I ask you, dear Lord, to forgive me for every sin, every shortcoming, every failure. I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Write my name on the Lamb's book of life. I receive you as my Savior, and I confess you as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now receive that and believe it in your heart today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want to pray for those of you who need a comeback. And I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I'm going to ask you to pray from your heart to God because you know what it is you need to come back from. I don't know. But you just tell God what you want him to help you get over right now while I pray for you. And the whole congregation, we're just all going to pray. Folks, just point your hand this way and pray for these folks while I pray for them. Go ahead. From your heart, begin to talk to the Lord. Father, right now, we thank you for this group of people that have come. Thank you for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl that's standing here at this altar before you today. And I ask you, Lord, to do a work in their lives. Lord, we rebuke rejection. We, we come against fear. We come against intimidation. We come against the, the, the bad memories of past failures. We come against the, the, the work of the enemy that tries to discourage and depress and defeat. Lord, we take authority over that through the power of the resurrected Lord. And today we believe you for a supernatural comeback. We believe you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to touch every life. We believe you right now to bring hope. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we declare that we're the children of God and that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We declare that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, today we begin our comeback. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.